0: Have you ever wanted to trek the national parks?
1: Escape an arranged marriage? Play Russian roulette with kittens?
0: Or experience thug life on the streets? That's what the four game masters we meet in this film set out to do.
1: We meet Charlie Bink, who created the game Trekking, around his parents' dreams of visiting all the national parks.
0: Elon Lee, one of the masterminds behind the hit Exploding Kittens.
1: Nashra Balagamwala who designed Arranged as a way of coping with her culture's views on arranged marriages. And Jason Serrato, who is taking his diverse childhood and turning it into an experience everyone can have in Thug Life.
0: We will also meet the creator of Settlers of Catan and learn just what it takes to become a game master.
1: Hi, I'm Heather Grayson, writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth.
0: My name is BC Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most, being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday extraordinary
2: people.
1: This is Behind the Dock, and today we are behind the scenes of Game Master.
3: When I was a kid, I remember finding this magazine that my dad had laying around, and I was thumbing through it, and I came across this picture, and I was I saw this guy in it. He was wearing a business suit and a tie. Kind of looked like my dad a little bit. But there was like all this weird stuff in the, in the picture. There was like this weird red bird in the background, and there was this dude in a lab coat, looked like a scientist, and this weird large object covered by a red sheet. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And so I looked at the caption and underneath it said, Marvin Glass, game inventor. And I was like, game inventor? I didn't even think that was a job.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Behind the Dock, the podcast where we take a deep dive into documentary filmmaking and the people that make them. We are very excited today to be joined by Charles Mers and Jimmy Wynn, the director and producer behind a really I find fascinating film that takes us behind the scenes of designing a board game. I don't know if you realized how much goes into it, and we are not talking simple board games, though. We'll find out some about the mechanics and the flavor as we go forward. Jimmy, Charles, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
4: Good, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.
0: Well, let's get started right off the bat. Just give us a real quick, you know, like how how you got to Game Masters. We'll go from Game Masters there, but just a little bit of background and bio, where you've been, what you've learned, and how we came to uh, kind of talk to you today.
4: Charles and a couple other friends, we started playing board games heavily. And I give Charles credit for bringing the fever into me uh, by introducing me a game to uh, a game called Puerto Rico. And so we started playing it all the time. And, and then it kind of led to us going to board game conventions. so like a couple months later, and then we got really into that. In Los Angeles, there's one called Strategic Con that happens three times a year, so we started just going to it all the time, mostly playing in um, Settlers of Catan tournaments. About like a year into it, I would like turn to Charles, I was like, man, this is such a fascinating community. I was joking with Charles about my next doc being about board games, I wasn't very serious until uh, I met somebody who had made their own board game at home and was kind of hawking it at these conventions. And I really loved the sales pitch. I really loved the narrative behind why they made it. And I I just had this eureka moment. And I told Charles, I was like, okay, I think I know what the board game doc is going to be about. We're going to follow a handful of creators from, from concept to target shelf. And we're just going to explore the industry and, and, and try to understand it ourselves and unravel the whole world, you know, for people. And, and Charles is like, that's a great idea. Who's going to direct this? And I'm like, <laughs> you, of course. <laughs> and I don't know if Charles thought I was serious in that moment, but that was kind of like the beginning of it. And, and then we, sh- I think we started moving pretty quickly after that. And I'll let Charles take over and talk about it from when he came in.
2: Well, I'll tell you, it's funny the other the other side of that. I went to film school. I'd made a couple of of short films, and production was always just like this uphill battle because when you have no money and no resources, you do everything yourself. And so I remember telling Jimmy, I was kind of settling into like just the idea of not doing production anymore. I'd kind of fallen out of love with it. And I think I told Jimmy, um, you know, I don't know that I'm interested in production anymore. I don't think I want to do it. I, I think I've, I've fallen out of love with it, and I never do. If I never do production again, I'll be okay with it. And then three weeks later, he said, how, how would you like to direct this documentary? And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there there is some truth to that. Jimmy has a short memory, thankfully, because as soon as he said it to me, I did think he was serious, and I knew that yes was the right answer. That just tells you something that, you know, just when you think that you feel a certain way about something, it becomes really clear when how you actually feel about it when it when, when you start to have a realistic conversation about it, because, you know, without hesitation,
5: I said this is a great idea. We should do it. I think everyone on Earth has played and enjoyed some kind of tabletop game. They're just so universal, whether they played them when they were younger, whether it's something they've learned to play when they're older, whether it was something that was within their family. Tabletop games are almost just a universal phenomenon.
0: So let's take it back then. So you got this idea. You get together. You got Charles as your director, Jimmy, and both of you agree you're going to make it. How do you pick amongst all these folks? How did you settle on the ones that we ended up following and saw during Game Masters?
2: I, I knew that the the board game industry was so sprawling and so big. And, you know, how do you even begin to give people an idea and also get people interested? And I knew that this movie... Whatever the movie was at the end of the day, it had to be interesting to somebody who hasn't played a board game since they were five. I always say, go to the place where the people are doing the thing that you're talking about. You know, in this case, it was board game conventions. So we'd go there, we'd, you know, talk to people, we'd see people selling their game that they've self-published or they've created that they're working on, you know, something in a prototype stage, all sorts. And I would go up and I'd ask them two questions and I'd say, tell me about your game. And... Why did you make it? You know, and based on what they said, if they had a good answer for those two questions, and I talked to them more, kind of learned about their work habits and you know more of their personal story.
4: Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, while this movie is about board games, we really wanted it to be an exploration about craft and a passion of art. And and that you feel more towards the characters that you know than their games by the time the movie's over. My dream was always for people to connect with the creators more than anything.
3: All right, so this is my uh, bookshelf, my very messy bookshelf, where I have all my sketchbooks, uh, and these are where I keep track of my game ideas. So there's a whole bunch of them. There, these are uh, Scott's book of great ideas. Uh, and I uh, have them numbered. This one is number 28. I think I'm up to about 30 now. I carry a sketchbook with me wherever I go.
0: And I want to talk a little bit, we want to talk a little bit about the kind of four main subjects that we follow. So let's start with Scott Rogers with his game Ray Guns and Rocket ships. What was appealing about Scott and what kind
4: of aspects or what did we learn about Scott? We were at Strategic Con just hanging out uh, one of the weekends and I see... Somebody across the convention floor wearing the sh- wearing a shirt with the box art of Reagan's and rocket ship on it, and I'm like, that is Scott Rogers. That has to be him. And so I walked up to him, introduced myself, told him what we were doing, and I said, I would love to introduce you to my director. I just kind of gave him the quick spiel, and then I, I told Charles about him. And then from there, Charles asked us questions, fell in love with him, and I, and. I think he was co- probably the first, definitely for sure character that was going to be in the movie.
2: I have a different opinion. I think it was oh. <laughs> i I think it was uh Charlie Bink, but you know that's that's up for contention. Um, yeah yeah, but you know i because I remember you meeting Scott Rogers, talking to him. He gave me his card. I turned around to Jimmy and I said, "What the hell am I going to do with this guy?" <laughs> but, but, but uh talking to Scott more and more you know, it became clear what I was going to do with this guy. And, you know, that was put him in the movie in a big way. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm really glad that we kept talking because he's a big part of the movie.
4: His story about surviving cancer, like, I didn't even know that yet. You know, it wasn't until Scott uh, Charles had talked to him where we started to find that stuff out. But the main reason why I wanted him for the doc was because he had put so much love in this prototype. And I wanted to kind of like learn more about his, his experience of putting it together. So that was kind of like my first attraction to him, why he made like such a fascinating character. But then Charles unraveled everything else.
5: One of the uh, best prototypes that uh, has been presented to us is Ray Guns and Rocket Chips. Presented to me in a box that was, was beautiful. It was a well done prototype. Our initial reaction when we uh, saw the game was this was a great genre to make a game with. Uh, it, it's not uh, oversaturated in the sort of pulpy sci-fi era. Uh, I can immediately tell that the designer of that game really had a love for that genre.
1: I really loved how you guys told the story of each one of your subjects and his cancer story and how he went through it. And he he developed this while he was, you know, going through chemo and the whole story behind Arranged and what she did to bring out and what she's going to be hopefully doing for women who are dealing with these things. There was a great thing to put in for somebody like me.
6: So it started off actually as a class project where initially my professor was like make something that's important to you. And the one thing that has bothered me forever has been arranged marriages. I have been, or tried, like my parents have tried to make me a victim of it. A lot of my friends have been in similar situations and they haven't had a way out. So. That was the topic. I knew immediately that the topic was arranged marriage. My name is Nashra Balagamwala. I am the designer of Arranged, which is a board game about running away from arranged marriages. It's a game that forces participants to confront the struggles that South Asian girls face when
1: being forced into an arranged marriage. How did you discover her? How did you discover Nashra?
2: So... As we, myself, one of the directors of photography, Michael Cox, and producer Wallace Ross, the three of us were in a car driving across the United States and interviewing various people along the way. We found ourselves stationed in Connecticut, which is where Wally's parents live. So we were staying with them for a second. And we had like a break, a little little bit of a break where I was going over questions for upcoming people, going over what we'd already done, you know, that sort of stuff. And I came across this article on the internet about Nashra Balagamwala and this board game called Arranged. And I'm like, I have got to get her in this movie. So I get on the phone, try calling her, I try emailing her. I try maybe Instagramming her. I don't even remember. Any way that was available to me, I tried. And it was about like three or four hours. And finally, I get her on the phone. And you know, I say, this is what we're doing you know, doing a documentary. Uh, this is who we've talked to. This is what's upcoming, please be in it. And, you know, after a while of convincing her that we weren't crazy people, you know, she finally said yes. And then she said, I should tell you one thing though. And I said, okay. And she says, my visa expires in two days and I am leaving the country. And I said, okay, where in the, where in the United States are you? And she said, I'm in Brooklyn. And I said, great. We're in Connecticut. I will see you tomorrow. So we drive down to Brooklyn and uh, we interview her. And then the next day she packs up her stuff and leaves.
1: And so the the film footage that we got from her in Pakistan, that was her film footage
2: solely? <laughs> no. So there's a great story behind this. So she's in Pakistan, right? And I, I, and I WhatsApp her or, you know, one, one of the things I, I contact her and I say, Nasher, we need footage of you in Pakistan. And she's like, how am I supposed to do that? And I say, just use your phone. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, I'll walk you through the settings and I'll walk you through the framing of things, but just get it. And she's like, I don't, who's going to shoot this? I said, literally anybody you can get to shoot this. And she said, okay. And so what ended up happening is she she was staying with her parents in Pakistan and she had her maid shoot the footage. Oh, wow. So her maid, who is an excellent photographer, by the way, (laughs) a hidden talent, she's, you know, she shot like, probably five shots and three of them are in the movie. So she's got, like, the highest, like, footage shot to footage used ratio. You know, it's like, hey, what's, what's your, your maid's name? Because we've got to credit her in the in the credits. She did a really good job. And that was a really exciting moment for her maid, actually.
1: That's amazing. That's a great story. This is why we like doing this, because this these are wonderful layers of what it takes to make a documentary.
2: One
0: of my favorite, I guess, subject is Charlie Bink. Uh, my name is Charlie Bink and I'm the creator of
6: Trekking the National Parks. I think the theme of trekking is its initial pull for almost anyone, is they see, oh, it's a game about the national parks. You almost never see that without it being like quizzes for ages eight and up, you know? I, I really wanted the box and just everything about it to say, hey, this is a game, it's about the national parks, but don't worry, you know, you're not opening a textbook. You know, it's, it's a game that's about that you know, a
0: lot of people get started out, they want to turn to maybe their parents or family members for assistance. And Charlie's tale helped provide, you know, maybe a bit of a roadmap or some words of advice to head down there. What is it, uh, how did we meet Charlie, his game? And then what was it like working with him? And then as you unfolded is probably, did it know initially some of the family way that worked behind the scenes, learning that and how they run their business together and what it was like for all of the banks to work together?
2: The funny thing about Charlie, I, you know, obviously I had no idea at that moment that there'd be all of this family contention and I was not counting
6: on it. My parents are older, they're retired, they've, they've worked, they've, they're ready to, you know, be retired and enjoy their legacy. And then sort of just, wow, at the same time, their legacy is sort of manifested into a physical product. This is great. I mean, if I'm gonna be really honest, uh, Running the business with my parents, running it with them, has been hugely turbulent, hugely turbulent. I can't say it's brought us closer together. It's changed how we interact with each other. It's not the same relationship as it was before the game. I think if you asked them, they would say a lot has changed because of it.
2: As we were shooting, more and more stuff kept happening. I would check in with them every couple months and be like, hey, what's going on? And he would tell me, "Oh, this stuff's happening." And I would be like, "We got to go back to Phoenix and shoot this." <laughs> <laughs> and literally, when we were about to wrap film, more stuff was still happening. And his story kind of got resolved, like not even a month before that. Like it just, as far as like things being good with them and it ending the way it ended. I don't want to spoil anything if people haven't seen it.
1: It's definitely a far cry from when we are talking with Klaus and his kids in the crater of Settlers of Catan. It's very different feeling, you know, they are a family working together, this is a family business.
0: Catan uh, is, uh, since 2002, a uh, family business. It was too much work for me. So, um, uh, one day when Guido was here, my other my son, and we, we had a walk, and uh, on this walk I declared and explained, okay. I could not, could not do that alone um, and uh, I need someone uh, to help me and I uh, will look on the, on the market who can help me and then, then Guido said, okay, why not
4: me? <laughs> Don't
7: you know that-
1: Klaus, he ended up building this game himself, and then he brought on his family. Maybe that's sort of the way it works out better in watching the documentary instead of all coming together at at the very forefront, because those major decisions were just made by Klaus at that time. How did you like working and going and traveling to Germany to talk to this family?
2: It was fantastic. Klaus, when we were about to talk to Klaus, I had heard wally and mike kind of be like you know what's he going to be like i have no idea what he's going to be like because they thought oh he's he created this game that has so much power behind it and there's so much recognition behind it and it's kind of like thought of as the game in the hobby industry is he going to be arrogant is he going to be kind of a hot shot you know because he almost has earned that right and then this guy walks out of his office and he's kind of this old grandpa figure and he was the sweetest man ever you know and so it was kind of a surprise for them and but he is he is nothing but a delight to, to talk to
0: so we have klaus toiber who we meet who is kind of as you said like you know the a person who has helped birth hobby gaming into existence but on the flip end as far
5: as already established designers we meet elon lee i have uh, a friend shane small who uh said What if we tried to build Russian roulette out of cards? And uh, how would that work? And what would it look like? And we started tinkering with the idea over the course of a few weeks. Um, And we created this game called Bomb Squad, which was literally a deck of uh, uh, poker cards that we took a sharpie and scribbled all over. This card, if you draw this one, you explode. It's the bomb. And we scribbled all over these cards and we played it with a bunch of friends. And it worked great. Everyone became so addicted to this game. We got the game to a really good place, a place where everyone we showed it to really enjoyed playing. And one of the people that we showed it to uh, was Matt Inman, who draws the oatmeal, creator of the oatmeal. And he looked at it and he said, guys, this is, this is amazing. This is the most fun I've ever had playing a card game, but it has no soul. Um, what if uh, you let me partner with you guys and uh, we'll make just two changes, one, Uh, you let me illustrate all the cards uh, and add a little bit of that soul to it. Uh, And two is we rename it from Bomb Squad to Exploding Kittens because the internet. And uh, those were two really, really good decisions, and Exploding Kittens was born.
0: I thought it was a nice counterbalance to bring us to, you know, the original, what started this, and then the new era and probably one of the most successful tales of it, because his tale really is an anomaly, I think, in that Kickstarter era of game designing.
4: I don't know if you remember this, Charles, but I had wanted Elon because I had wanted Elon. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like you didn't want to cover exploding kittens in the beginning. No, I felt like I you feel didn't. Like you, you didn't want to. No, like, I remember. he was my idea. <laughs> no, no, great. he was not
2: your idea. That is one hundred percent my tell idea. Tell me, tell me how we met him then. I know how we met him.
4: Do you remember? I actually don't remember. Well, that's but I know I that, wanted that, him. No.
2: So, <laughs> well, I remember putting the game Exploding Kittens in front of you and you being lukewarm about it at first.
4: Yes. Admittedly, I was not fond of the game in the beginning. Admittedly. And it wasn't until we got the expansion and then it like was super hilarious to us. But the original one, I yes, I was not... a. Huge fan of, but I definitely wanted to talk to him because of his story, because of the Kickstarter thing.
2: Yeah, here's what what I'll say. Like when we were trying to figure out who to talk to and and who who to go over, I thought Exploding Kittens was important because it was the first thing on Kickstarter, the first game on Kickstarter that kind of said, hey, you cannot ignore games on Kickstarter. They are a real thing. You have to pay attention to all games now. And, you know, they were the first ones to really do that. At the time, I think they might have been have raised the most money out of anything ever, and they definitely had the most individual backers of any any item on Kickstarter ever, not just games. But I thought because I knew Matt Inman, who did the does the oatmeal, I knew he was in Seattle. I thought they were in Seattle too. So this is the way we, we got hooked up with Alon. So I I was working a job at a restaurant, right, and one of the regulars came in and you know we just start chatting and he he was like you know i tell him what i'm doing i'm doing a documentary doing it it's about board game designers and jimmy can attest to this that when you tell people about it you frequently hear someone say oh you know my friend's doing a board game and you say (laughs) you say well what game is it's like oh it's uh you know Rocky and the judge, you know, it's some weird game that you've never heard of that went nowhere and has like a hundred copies and you go, Oh, okay, that's nice. And you kind of, you know, go about your day. So this guy says, Oh, I I have a friend who created a board game. And I said, Oh really? What game? And he says, exploding kittens. And I go, you are kidding me. (laughs) You know? And so, so I got his, uh, I got this guy's email and he hooked us up.
4: Yeah. And that, that interview was amazing. And I, I think like after we had shot it, Just listening to him talk for like however many hours we had shot of it was just like so inspiring that I turned to Charles and I was like, Charles, I think we have a movie. I think this, I think we found our footing. Like I feel very confident going forward because that interview was just so spectacular and ended up being a major foundation for the, for the documentary.
5: The way that we approached Kickstarter um, was very different from the way most people do. Originally our goal on Kickstarter was, okay, we got this cool game idea, we'll put it up on Kickstarter, let's try to raise $10,000, that'll allow us to print up 500 copies of the game. That's all we need to do, that's the minimum print run our manufacturer needs, and it's a little weekend project, none of us are really taking this seriously, so uh, we'll just, that'll be our goal. We hit that in seven minutes. The game eventually went on to surpass the $10,000 mark and eventually made $9 million on Kickstarter, uh, breaking every Kickstarter record.
0: So the last of our kind of designers that we meet, Jason, is one who's trying to come up. He's like the rest. He's trying to create a game. But unlike some of the rest, he's drawing on, I mean, most of them draw upon their influences, but his game seems to not only struggling to get there, whether it's not understanding his audience, having a learning process through price points, but then also developing material that some people may not like, right? And some people may have an issue, may not. So what was it like with Jason and his story and the game Thug Life? I've always
7: created games. Ever since I was a kid, I was always working on something. And I I think back when people ask me, why do you create games? When was the first game we created? I never really thought about it. It was—it was like it was kind of like Dungeons Dragons. It was just an effortless sort of, uh, effortless sort of drive. It's just what I, what I would do in my spare time. My name is Jason Suárez. I'm the designer of Thug Life. Jimmy, I feel like you met Jason first.
4: Yeah. Uh, so he would have a booth at Strategic Con, every convention, and it was very—you could see it because he had a huge standee with one of the characters on it. It was one of the the female characters. And it's like kind of in your face. And you're kind, and I, I don't know if it was like a marketing tactic for him, but you would see it and you're like, what is this? You know, and it's kind of like a WTF moment. And so you go and then you meet him and he's like the sweetest guy. The reason why I liked him in this, I think out of everybody, I connected with him the most because I, I kind of been through a lot what he's what he went through with his game, you know, when I first came to LA, it was very hard to be I'm Vietnamese. And it was very hard to kind of like be myself and make things kind of based on my background. And you end up getting a lot of people in Hollywood kind of talking you out of it. And you know, that was kind of like my experience in the beginning. And it, it's kinda it was like very sad for me because I didn't know how to like be this thing that other people wanted. I saw a lot of the same struggles with what he was doing. Here was a Mexican guy making a game based on, you know, his upbringing and the people he grew up around. And people were telling him how it was inappropriate. And he, you know, he had to fight through it every way through the first Kickstarter, through the second Kickstarter. I think to this day, like people still criticize it in a lot of ways.
7: Thug Life is a miniature combat uh, crime simulation board game where you take on the role of a boss and you control a gang of thugs in the streets. Uh, you're committing crimes, doing drive-bys. I like to say it cons, fun for the whole family sort of thing that always gives people a big chuckle. And if I could just get a few kids off the real streets to play in these phony streets, I think that's a win in my book.
4: We wanted to let him tell his story in his own words and just kind of follow that. But he, I mean, he, he was very exciting to me from the get-go because he's kind of an outlier, you know, compared to all the other designers we were coming across at that time. There was somebody who didn't make it in the movie, but he always he said something to me that stuck with me, which was how he was tired of playing games that were all about Europeans trading in the Mediterranean. And when you stand back and you look at the hobby, you see a lot of games like that. And I told Charles, like, I want to find, like, as many uh, people of color as we can. You know, when you love something, you have to, like bring a critical eye to it. And one of the first things we noticed about the board gaming industry was that there was not a lot of people of color in it. Not a lot of women in it. And it was very interesting because you don't, it's not an overtly racist industry. It's just like somehow it just is like that, you know?
1: Yeah, he definitely broke a lot of molds when it came to the documentary in itself and and just learning about the history of a lot of the people who do create these documentaries. So I I loved and, and the the talk about diversity and I think that I understand where some people could see his work, Jason's work, and say, say, oh, that might be a little too much. But you know, he's you know, there's there's a whole bunch of other games out there that probably are too much. We just haven't really thought about it. I loved how you put that through.
2: I'll say Jason, to me, probably has the most complex inner conflict of of anybody because he's a guy that grew up poor, wanted the toys, couldn't afford the toys. Now he's grown up. He's in a position to make the toys, right? Make the toys he would have wanted when he was a kid. But he found that in doing that, he has made toys that the kid that he was couldn't afford. And, you know, I just, I think it's just infinitely fascinating and almost unresolvable.
0: When you meet all these game designers, and you met a lot, ones we didn't include. And so is there, is there a trait between them that you find? Is there, whether it's, you know, artistic or just business background, is there something you found like a personality trait that is somewhat inherently, it helps them become a game designer? Or is it truly anyone can make a game?
2: I mean, I think anyone can make a game. There's... Especially with Kickstarter, just like you know, your subject matter, you're not limited by the gatekeepers anymore. There's a literally a game about everything. You know, there's a game about quilting. There are multiple games about poop. More than ever now,
1: anybody can make a game.
6: So this game is called Who Farted, and it's basically Go Fish meets Clue with fart noises added in.
1: Do you guys ever think to yourself, I can, I can build a game. I can, I can do this. I can develop something. One hundred percent.
4: Oh yeah. That's my favorite, the biggest joy for me is whenever one of my friends watches the movie, they want to make a game afterwards, you know? And while we are doing this, I felt like, man, me and Charles, we've collected so much information. Like, we know all all the major players. I'm like, we could really do it. I want to now, for sure. Like, I want to make a game. I want to go through the whole thing. Actually, here's an interesting uh, piece of history on Game Master. Charles, do you remember the original, one of the original premises of Game Master? That I have yeah.
2: To? yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm Why glad don't we can do him? it. Uh, well, okay, so, so Jimmy so, so Jimmy said to me, he's like he didn't it, the story he told you earlier was a little bit false, only because he didn't say we should follow, you know, designers trying to make a game and you know get it to the shelves at Target from the idea. He said to me, I'm gonna make a game. I'm gonna make a game, you're gonna follow me, I'm gonna be the star. I'm going to do it. This this game's going to be on Target. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, yeah, let's, let's do it.
4: This was my first roadblock. This is what discouraged me. I was like, I am not an interesting character. Forget me. But I had made a card game, and I had brought it over to Charles' place. And he lives with one of the producers, Sharon and, and Rachel, who worked on the movie with us. And they played my game. And it really sucked. And they were really bored. And it was a horrible experience for me. And that looked like... I was like, no, it's not going to be about me. I don't care about me.
3: (laughs) So Protospiel is the, for my money, is the best convention uh, in tabletop gaming. And it's this uh, weekend where all these game designers converge to share their game prototypes. And for me, it's one of the more important events of the year because it's a place I can not only debut my games, but I also get playtesting from some really smart game designers. And, and it's great to get feedback from regular people, but getting it from game designers, they can very quickly focus in on why the game is good or bad.
0: Jimmy Wynn and Charles Mers, director and producer of Game Masters. We could talk to you forever. There's so much more I feel like we could talk about, but you have been amazing guests. It's great to hear your stories. It's clear you have a friendship, albeit sometimes poking each other, which makes for amazing conversations. Thank you for joining us. Though, Charles, I will say I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this before I leave because you've put so much work and effort and blood, sweat, and tears into this film. So, do you think in the end you are more remembered for this artistic endeavor? in Game Masters or is the cute waiter on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Like, which one do you think really propels oh you to fame, unfortunately? Well,
2: you know, honestly, I'll be honest. Sadly, more people messaged me about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills appearance. And I, that's how I found that it was on. I got 10 texts like in the span of an hour like, oh, you were on Real Housewives. And I was, and I was like, oh, I guess it aired. Uh,
4: <laughs> he didn't tell so. anybody. He didn't tell anybody.
1: <laughs> I get why you didn't want to tell anybody. It's fine. <laughs>
2: And I'll say this, I watched the episode and I was shocked how much screen time I got. I was like, man, they are they are running out of material <laughs> on that show if they're giving me this much camera time.
1: Like, <laughs> well, I just want to let you know that I I mean, honestly, BC did bring this to to us and say, "Hey, can we do this? Can we do this interview?" And I was a little like, Okay. I mean, I'm always, be always into it. There I are was... people
0: listening here who did not love this idea. <laughs> Their name, <laughs> But, on but
1: I oh. was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised because, you know, a lot of times you, you think of a documentary, it's going to be sometimes it's going to be a little more dry and just explain some information. But this really got involved in so many different things and diversity and storytelling and tragedy and relationships. I really, really enjoyed it. So thank you very much, both of you. You did a great job.
2: Thank you. Can I can I say something about that a little bit? One of the things that Nashra's mother said when she said, hey, I'm in this movie, it's it's about board games and stuff. Her mother's reaction was, this is an hour and a half. Who's going to want to watch an hour and a half movie about board games? (laughs) (laughs) And that is actually kind of the mentality that I walked into making this movie with.
0: Game Masters is an amazing film. And thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Charles, for joining us. Had a great time.
6: We hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm happy that I did it as a family because I did not have the tools or the resources um, to do it alone.
7: We funded. So we just finished the Kickstarter and uh, it was kind of a crazy ride. Had a really interesting time. I mean, there was a a lot of results that we were expecting and there was definitely a lot of surprises. A bittersweet journey throughout but uh, at the end of the day it was extremely positive and we actually were able to connect with with a pretty a pretty excited crew of, of backers
3: uh i've been looking forward to this moment um for a long time um it all i really wanted is this game to be real and uh and here it is it's real it's on the shelf it exists as a thing for people to buy and uh it's it's really cool
6: for the past year, I have been traveling, speaking at places such as human rights conventions, game design conferences, women's empowerment events, and I've gotten the opportunity to do all of this because of my game. I've also come back to America because the visa that I got was based off of this game. And now I'm pursuing my career. I'm living the lovely freelance life, doing whatever it is I want to do. and. It's it's all cause of arranged.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. If you liked us, because we all know you did, leave us a review in your Apple Podcast app.
0: Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures.
1: Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael DiAloya
0: produced by Sarah Willgroup
1: and audio engineer Eric Coltman.
0: And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts.
4: Hey, hey there.
1: I'm Hannah and I'm Audrey. even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.